the Iranian revolution was a black swan event for me. Uh, I was uh, about 17 years old when I went to college in the United States. And uh, it was the year that uh, there was an uprising in Iran. And I was born in Iran. I'd lived in the United States, but we used to go back to Iran all the time. And my dream, as we all have dreams when we're young people going into college or university, my dream was I was going to go back to Iran and I was going to be a doctor and I was going to have my pilot's license. I had a very specific plan and I was going to fly from village to village and deliver medicine. And so when the Iranian revolution happened, uh, which happened in my freshman year of college, that whole plan got blown up for me. I quote the prolific behavioral economist Daniel Kahneman, who put it best. What you should learn when you make a mistake because you did not anticipate something is that the world is difficult to anticipate. That's the correct lesson to learn from surprises, that the world is surprising. And yet we never fail to be surprised. Finance professor, writer, and former Wall Street trader Nassim Nicholas Talib calls such events black swans in his 2007 best-selling book, Black Swan, The Impact of the Highly Improbable. Welcome back to Habits Matter. I'm your host, Shreyasi Singh, founder and CEO of Harappa Education, an online learning institution where we power your world of work with good habits. Our fifth episode, Black Swans, features four guests sharing the experiences of black swan events that no one saw coming and which had disastrous consequences. From the Iranian revolution in 1979 and the global financial crisis in 2008 to the 9-11 attacks. It's in the nature of black swan events that they can't be predicted, even with the benefit of hindsight. Just like a very close friend of mine and a survivor wasn't prepared, her black swan event was a rare and paralyzing autoimmune disorder, the Guillain-Barre syndrome. In this episode, how does surprise shake our belief system? How do we cope with events so out of our control? Is it possible to prepare for the next black swan? And what is the hope that gleams in the midst of a pandemic? At that point, um, uh, the Pahlavi regime was overthrown and Khomeini came into power and he flew into the country on February of 1979. So that was my freshman year of college. And there had been revolts the previous year, but we thought it might become democratic. The country was going through towards democracy, towards uh, uh, parliamentary rule. Black Swan events are extremely rare just like the black swan bird that was thought not to exist. Before the discovery of Australia, the old world was convinced swans were only white, as millions of white swans were all that had been sighted. The discovery of a single black swan by Dutch explorer William de Vlaming, living in the estuary of the Swan River in January 1697, overturned long-held beliefs, taking ornithologists by surprise. It's a poetic metaphor for the limited power of human observation and of the fact that our knowledge is, at the end of the day, very fragile. Juggling jobs and loans and working, and then on top of that, my family was uh, 
challenged and friends of my family were getting killed. And uh, there was a lot of refugees leaving Iran and we were how my family was housing them. So there was just a lot going on and it was completely unexpected. I mean, we just couldn't imagine that. So that to me was one of the big and the first black swan events I ever went through and had a very dramatic effect on my life. I'm Susanna Badian, and I'm a leadership coach and an educator based out of Washington, D.C. Though I consider myself a global citizen, I teach leadership and my ARIA framework that helps unleash the potential of people and uh, helps them not feel victimized by their circumstances. And I always think back to what happened in October 1987. I just started business school in September, a month back earlier than that and a month later the famous stock crash of October 87 happens and uh, immediately jobs just evaporated it was tough to get jobs I gave up plans to be a consultant or an investment banker and thanks to a friend I joined Citibank in New York working in financial control it wasn't my first choice but I took it because one it was a job in New in the US. So I think that ability to be flexible and agile was something that was so important from that experience. And I went through it myself. It's not that, you know, today people say, oh, Lois, you know, you can afford to do it when you have money. No, those days I didn't have money. I was really struggling, worried about the future. Hi, I'm Lois Miranda. I connect dots. I used to be a banker and a private equity investor, and I'm now in the social sector. 9-11 or the Twin Tower plane attacks in the US was another black swan that sent ripple waves of terror throughout the world. That day's imagery is embedded in the national psyche of the US for sure, and its consequences reverberate across the world, even today. Suddenly I get a text on my phone saying World War III with a question mark, one of my fellow IDSians writing to me. And um, I said, what happened? And she was like, switch on the TV. And the first thought that everyone had at that time was when they realized that it was a second plane that had hit the tower. The first thought that everyone had was that, um, okay, this, this is war. Hi, I'm Preeti Singh. I'm a communications consultant currently. And in a past life, I've been a journalist. And I've also done research on nuclear weapons. But right now, I am on an extended sabbatical after being sick for a while. And I also record a podcast about my crazy life called The Truth About Nobody. Anyone who's ever read nonfiction books or even fiction on security and defense issues would remember this. That till 9-11, a lot of people started their uh, you know, articles or their theses or their dissertations saying in the post-Cold War era. And suddenly after 9-11, that line changed because everything became the world after 9-11. So there were so many people who we used to joke about this, that, you know, the first line of each article has suddenly changed. So uh, that was one. And the second is, of course, you had to, um, if you recall that um, before that, there used to be this common refrain about the U.S. never having been hit on home soil if you exclude Pearl Harbor. Now you had an entire American discourse which was leading the rest of the world. Um, most of us would read American authors on security. Uh, many of us would read um, uh, or listen to a lot of American experts on security. 
the entire security establishment had to rethink the way that they thought because the leaders often who were writing on some of these issues uh, were stunned themselves in the aftermath of 911 preeti singh was working with the security think tank for the government of india she tells the story from her vantage point we had been taught to think a little strategically not to react merely to events but also to think a little strategically so that is where all, all the you know talking heads would gather i remember you started thinking about what repercussions this could have uh, not just for the us but for the region but for our region as well because you know it was right in our backyard that uh, the attacks were traced to so suddenly you were forced to think about everything that was going to change um and of course things like flying how something as simple as flying was about to change you have to start thinking about that how internal security in every country at security at important installations and establishments was going to change so you had to think of um, so many different things not just the us going going after the terrorists but every way that our lives were about to change and if you look at it that we are still living in that world which is being defined by what happened when those two killings hit the twin towers in 2001 risk and surprises are things we can't see we don't know the when the where or the how a fact that can wreak immense emotional and financial devastation but harsh surprises are less painful if you're emotionally prepared Susan's experience of the Iranian revolution changed how she perceived 9/11. The 9/11 incident of course happened I was living in in Boston area and so in that way it hit me close the 9/11 because we had a neighbor who was killed in one of the planes. Uh it started the the planes that took off um to New York for the trade center that got hit in the in the trade centers were Boston based. So we knew people that were killed we you know it was not it wasn't it hit close to home but nothing like for me the iranian revolution of course it it opened up a whole um creative um, you know thinking about how do you uh prevent this from happening but the truth is i've been thinking about those issues about extremism and religious extremism extremism for decades at that point because of the iranian revolution so it wasn't a new thing for me on some level it was shocking that it happened close to home but it was also not very new for me as a highly interconnected global society we're no longer insulated from the experience of black swan events in one region whether they're acid bubble crashes natural disasters or pandemics we have to fight as one you know we were a global society we we can't pretend that we have boundaries anymore we're one world and we have to wake up to that reality so some of our political uh leaders or misleaders i would say who who think we we can barricade ourselves against a you know with a wall or separate ourselves it doesn't work anymore we can't do that we and we we shouldn't do that we're one world so whatever happens in one country affects us so that's one 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 of the learnings however there are times when we may find ourselves alone In 2019, Preeti encountered a different kind of black swan, a personal one. On holiday, she found herself paralyzed with a rare autoimmune disease, GBS, known to affect only one in a hundred thousand people. 
Um, in June 2019, I was on a holiday with my sister in Vietnam. And uh, on just our second day there, I started feeling a little unwell. And I felt as if um, my fingers and my toes were tingling. And uh, I asked my sister to take me to a hospital just to get myself checked out because I kept thinking something was not quite right with me. And um, I remember going to a hospital in Hanoi and walking in was perhaps the last thing I truly remember of uh, the outside world for a while. Uh, within the next 24 hours, I, was, I had found it difficult to breathe on my own. I could not swallow. I could not move my legs. I couldn't get out of bed. And um, luckily, I, I was actually quite fortunate to be in a hospital that was a pretty state of the art um, in, in Hanoi. And a doctor diagnosed me with a rare autoimmune disorder known as uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome or Guillain-Barre as they call it in French. It's something that attacks your nerves, the lining of your nerves, and um, prevents the nerves from doing their work, which in turn prevents your muscles uh, from working well. It, in fact, shuts down all the muscles in your body. And that includes things like the muscles that close your eyes or uh, your intestines, the ones that use uh, that are your digestive muscles, as well as your hands, feet, fingertips, toes, uh, everything. So in about 48 hours, I was completely paralyzed from the neck down. All I could move was my eyelids um, a little bit. And um, I couldn't move anything else in my body and I could not speak. And I was finding it difficult to breathe on my own. So I was very soon um, ventilated. Three days before Preeti left for that fateful holiday to Vietnam, we had one of those perfect evenings in Goa. In a happy coincidence, we were both on work there on the same day. And a glorious evening brimmed with red wine, spicy appam and fun conversations. The next time I saw her, about 60 days later, was in Max Hospital, Saket, 20 kilograms down, lying flat out on a hospital bed with an invasive ventilator pierced through her throat, which meant we could only weep together without words as we held hands and broke down. These events have shifted something in me. They've made me both more fearful of the fragility of happiness and more grateful for every normal day that goes by without accident or surprise. Sudden change affects our belief system in a way that can leave us hopeless and pessimistic. Preeti's battle was more mental than anything else, despite severe physical debilitation. Whenever a black swan event happens, whether it affects us directly or indirectly, I think the one thing that we feel is an absolute lack of power. After GBS, I think what's really changed with how I look at crises and how I handle them now is one is um, the complete giving up of control. I know that there are things in my life I will never be able to control. And I think that has brought some amount of peace and, and given me greater strength because um, it's, 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 it's things that you cannot do anything about. Uh, the second is, I think, um, the, com the complete opposite. The things that I can control. And I've gone after them um, more strongly. 
more bravely, I would say, that um, it was up to me to make sure that I could lift my hand for the first time. That though what happened to me was something that I couldn't control, but getting up and getting out of bed, taking the first steps after three months of being laid up, uh, the first time that I wrote two words on a piece of paper that I pushed myself to write those two words, the first time that I managed to lift something with, with my hand, I think all those I realized that those were the things that were in my control. And I think the, what made it possible was my belief in mind over body. And I think that's one thing that I've learned out of this entire experience, that your mind is much more superior than your body. Trusting, having faith, and also digging into deep reserves of the best there is that is inside you. Whether you're industrious, whether you're patient, or you're a fighter, or you're a negotiator, or you're a collaborator, you have to dig deep into each and everything that you are to deal with an event like this. And I remember this wonderful line that... Uh a celebrated writer named Joseph Campbell, the American writer and, and mythologist once said, he said, we must be willing to let go of the life we planned so as to have the one that is waiting for us. So my experience at that time was that doors shut in my face. And, um, you know, we have to go towards the doors that are open. Assume the worst for the first quarter of next year, which is in our case, the April to June quarter. And in terms of outlook beyond that, be prepared for a roughly a two year slowdown because it takes that much time for a massive economic shock uh, for a country or for a world to recover. And we've seen many of these shocks uh, in, in the last uh, few decades. So I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I just think this is the reality and there's one should be prepared. We should plan for that possible outcome. And only then, if things turn out to bet better, you'll be ahead of the curve. That was Pramath, my co-founder at Harappa and a pioneering higher educationist on the economy post-COVID-19. His professional journey, too, has been somewhat bookended by black swans. In 2001, as the founding dean of ISP. In 2008, as a newly minted entrepreneur, starting off a company in the midst of a global recession. And now, as Harappa, too, faces the economic realities of today as a young business. Fear is a natural response, and perhaps it's necessary for us to come out stronger when this passes. So there is fear, there's uncertainty, and it's tough. Uh, it's not an easy time to be in, uh, especially when you have either got old people at home or you're young and wondering about your future, or when you've got a family and you have to pay bills. It's a tough time. But I think the lesson which, is, which I found very useful in the last 30, 40 years of my life is to stay away from negativity. And then when I look at what actually happened to me at that stage, this is exactly what I went through here. It is, and the advice I would give you is, one is acknowledge and accept. This is happening. We are in a tough position. It's not business as usual. But remember, this has happened before. Maybe not at this extent. Maybe the last time it happened to this extent was 100 years back. But it has happened before. 
and this too shall pass. So, you know, a lot of the cliches that you hear, or what seem like cliches, you've lived is, is what I would say. So, for example, uh, what I know is that there is life on the other side, that it isn't actually the end of the world and that you will survive this. Uh, what you also know, though, is that there is going to be real pain in the near term and one should not be flippant or over optimistic about the fact that things will get worse and much worse uh, before they will get better. But because you know that you will come out on the other side, you don't let that get you down. You just say that from a accepting a reality perspective, accept the worst will happen. And then of course you realize that these setbacks actually make you stronger. Another black swan, the 2008 Lehman Brothers crisis, shook the world, leading to a flurry of predictions in hindsight. So in many ways, Shashi, it was a bit of a black swan, right? Because the, the financial crisis in the US, of course, had hit, but uh, it hit India with a lag. So I think we had all gotten quite, uh, we, 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 we were kind of in a comfort zone saying, oh, this is not going to affect India, we are insulated and so on. And then suddenly the stocks, stock markets here started to crash. So I remember that around the time we were fundraising for uh, a relatively new venture, 9.9 at that time, literally as we were bringing the money in from our venture capitalists, the markets were collapsing. There were widespread rumors that the private banks in India would collapse. Survival is tough. It's completely natural to feel overwhelmed. Resilience, however, can eventually be built. So many of us have learned how to numb our feelings. So the first thing, because we're frightened of them. The fear is frightening. The grief is frightening. You know, so to allow ourselves to have a safe space to actually surface that feeling. And um, I journal. Journaling is, is really a valuable skill. So just any kind of paper and to write it instead of typing it, because it uses a certain part of the brain, to write about what you're feeling and to, let, to acknowledge it. But then I, I actually bring what I call a, awareness to it, like presence. It's like the, uh, you know, just really focus on the feeling of it in my body, where is it in my body? So is it in my lower abdomen? Is it tight? What does it feel like? You know, and just put attention. Is it my heart? Is it my heart constricted? Is my throat, is it something stuck in my throat or all three? So to really pay attention to where it is in the body and put energy attention on it. And within 90, 30, I mean, really for me, it's rather quick now, within a certain amount of time, it dissipates. That kind of attention, you're like bringing light to a tight, dark area, and it starts to unravel. So first, acknowledge what you're feeling. Second, where is it in the body? And, and really pay attention to that, that space in the body where you're feeling it, and it, it, just, it will automatically uh, unravel. Or use humor, like Preeti's sister reminded her. She says, Didi, uh, you should deal with this in the same way that you deal with everything in life. Don't go against your nature. And that was the day I realized that, yeah, 
uh, humor, um, a little bit of naughtiness, a little bit of uh, you know being the usual argumentative Indian that I am, uh, was the only way that I could deal with this. So yeah, I fought with my doctors, I laughed with my doctors, I pushed myself, I tried not to take anything too seriously, and that was one great piece of advice. To manage her illness, Preeti has had to relinquish complete control of her life to her family, friends and multiple medical teams of doctors and nurses collaborating to help her get better. She's had to learn how to do something very, very difficult. Trust complete strangers. With COVID-19, we find ourselves in a similar situation. Belief, faith and collaboration among people and teams across the world are necessary to see us through to the other side. Sometimes good when an event like this hits you to just put your head down, do whatever it is that is required of you. It's like doctor's orders. You know, do what is required of you and just put your head down and allow the storm to pass. And that's the one thing that I've learned from BBS that when these things happen and you have no control, you have to follow a step-by-step order of things to just allow it to pass. One is that. And the second is that it requires dollops of patience and faith in others. So, for example, so many times we are being told that um, the government is being issuing instructions. The government has asked us to stay indoors. I treat it like doctor's orders, because at this time, if we are to fight with, or we are to question our teams, the ones who are actually looking out for us, we may not believe that. But I think at this moment, that's the only option we have. That the teams that we have been given, we have to have faith in those teams and just follow the instructions because perhaps someone else knows better than us. Fears of a damaged economy post-COVID are not unfounded. Pramath recalls how recruitments at the Indian School of Business suffered post-9-11. In those days, online teaching was not possible. But I do remember we somehow find, found replacement teachers in India. Obviously, students were disappointed, but they understood. But the bigger challenge we faced was that this was really just the start of the first ever recruiting season, which, as you can imagine, was really critical for a new MBA program, and especially with all the anticipation of the founding class of ISP and the whole anticipation around the institution. They had come to join the best firms in the world. They were looking for international jobs. They were looking for consulting and investment banking jobs. And those were exactly the sectors that uh, started to pull back right after the 9-11 event. And so we were in really uh, a bad spot. Why would people who were already cutting back come to a new institution to recruit? First, I think it it was very important to communicate with clarity uh, with the students what we thought was going to uh, be what we, what we thought were going to be the consequences and what actions we were going to take uh, because obviously they are feeling anxious and they are feeling upset uh, and and they perhaps are blaming you to some extent uh, if they can't blame anyone else. And that was uncomfortable and awkward and, and uh, led to some bad blood as well. Because uh, when we said that, listen, uh, the recruiting process is going to probably go beyond your 
graduation. It's going to be a long drawn out process and you may not actually get some of the companies that you hoped you would work at. There was disappointment. It would be foolish to believe things won't get worse. Uh, on the negative side, I think I was worried. You um, always worry, I think. Uh, knowing the way that everything comes together in situations like this, you worry about your family, you worry about expenses and finances. I think this is what happens when suddenly uh, something affects us and we don't know how that's going to, um, you know, interact with our future. They will get worse before they get better though. Hold out hope. Don't give up on your dreams. Hang in there and extend help in any way you can. What we're doing at Koro is figuring out how can we get food and other aid to people whose daily wages come to a standstill. And Koro is a grassroots leadership training nonprofit. We work on women's empowerment, etc. We don't do emergency relief, but the team just rallied around together. And I'm learning new things. I'm learning, for example, how to distribute food. I've learned about the skills of the team at Koro to identify people in the community who need help. And now I'm learning how to make masks. And we're now engaging with tailors across different parts of the country to be able to make masks. Uh, and acts of altruism at this time are very helpful because, you know, if you think of it as a, it's a kind of a paradoxical way, it's actually um, an act of self-care to care for others. And there's lots of research that demonstrates that in times of hardship, the people who make it out, make it the best, make, do well psychologically are those who actually aren't just thinking about themselves but are th thinking about the well-being of others and take action uh, to support the well-being of others. If you're listening to this podcast, have food in your plate and a roof over your head, be grateful. Not everyone has it easy. And we're seeing today people reach out from all parts of the, of the country and the world wanting to help. And it's really great that we can capture that momentum and leverage of it for a larger good over a longer period of time. I think it'll be fantastic. In some ways, this jolt is almost necessary. Uh, we all want to go back to a place of normalcy and comfort. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just remembering another um, saying by another celebrated American uh, author and philosopher. His name is Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he said, everyone wants to be settled. But only insofar as they are unsettled, is there any hope for them? So we're going through a period of unsettledness. But this is where we need to be. We need to wake up. There's so much not okay with our world. The environment, for example. There are things we've taken for granted that have become normalized, that, we sh that shouldn't be normalized. The, the disparity in incomes. You know, we're seeing it in this country, I mean, in the United States, there's just the inequalities. We, we, we cannot take these things for granted and normal anymore. These are abnormal. Human beings shouldn't have to live this way. COVID-19 has brought widening income inequalities, rampant hunger and widespread poverty to the forefront. The horrors of what we've inflicted on our environment and the folly of our ways and not learning from our mistakes glistens as cities shut down. 
Is it time to start acting now and stop asking what's next? Is that the silver lining to this black swan? Habits Matter is a show brought to you by Harappa Education. The show is produced by Nitin Shamsuddin, scripted by Soumya Bahuganal, managed by Nishan Singh, all under the editorial direction of Seema Chaudhary. Shout out to our audio engineer Madhan Bhattacharjee, our design team Archit Thapar, Suman Kaur, Neha Nagar and our product team Neeraj Sharma and Akash Trivedi. You can subscribe to Habits Matter on all your favorite podcast channels, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube or Stitcher. Please also follow Harappa Education on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Thank you as always for tuning in.